This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Hey there, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to the show. I'm Sean Drotar. Sandy Club is off for today and tomorrow. He'll be back on Monday. So I've got you today. A little more opportunity, by the way, than for calls and texts. If you want to participate in the show, 303-831-1340 is that call and text number. We'll take a look at those over the course of the program. The Denver Broncos out at Dove Valley as training camp continues. Their first preseason game a week from tomorrow against Arizona out there in the desert. Yeah, it comes that quickly. The bad news for the Broncos in the injury front continues. Uh, ACL tear for Jonas Griffith, the interior linebacker. Sean Payton confirms that. That's the uh, the second season-ending uh, injury for the Broncos in training camp, unless, of course, you count the situation with K.J. Hamler, which who knows how long it will last, but Hamler was all the way waived, so that obviously is a uh, totally different situation but in Griffith's case uh gets the injury in a special teams drill kind of steps on another teammate and uh unfortunately that injury will end his year Alex Singleton mentioned after the practice ended that quote Jonas is a big part of our team it sucks losing a guy like that you know how hard he works everything he puts out there and then go back to back on injuries the Linebacker missed the last uh, nine games of last year. He had a broken bone in his foot and trying to get uh, in a situation where he can be healthy there. Obviously, it's going to be in a, another year off. And for a Denver team that is doing a little bit of roster turnover, remember Jonas Griffith, I think is reasonably well thought of as a depth linebacker with special teams ability. But Sean Payton is the new head coach is likely to start bringing in his guys uh, over the course of the next couple of seasons and an opportunity for Griffith to show Peyton that he should be one of those guys that unfortunately goes by the wayside. So the unfortunate uh, break for him, UNLV linebacker Austin Ajike comes in. Uh, he signed and was uh, already with the Broncos at practice on Thursday. Now the inside linebacker role actually has for the Broncos a decent amount of depth. Uh, you know about Jewel and Singleton, who were effective starters, uh, if solid, if not spectacular. I think we've talked about this on the program a bit, that the uh, inside linebacker position has changed, and some of the usual metrics that we look at it, mainly tackles, is not the best way necessarily to purely evaluate that position. The ability to cover tight ends is absolutely critical, and that's where the Broncos are a bit lacking. They understood that's why they selected Drew Sanders in the third round of this draft, Sanders out of Arkansas with uh, the ability to maybe be a three-down linebacker uh, in reasonably short order, ability to cover tight ends, uh, a, a pretty talented guy. Obviously, he has to hop over either Singleton or Jewel, but appears to be one of the players that may be the next man up. Justin Sternod has also been on the team since he was drafted in 2020 in the fifth round. Sternod, another guy really in the same vein as Griffith. Griffith had a, had a blip where it looked like he may be able to jump up and be ready for more playing time, perhaps even uh, starting alongside Jewel potentially, but they, the Broncos had Singleton. Uh, Griffith sort of dropped off. Then he had the injury. Now it will be uh, difficult to find a, a fit for him, certainly for the rest of this year where he's out and then even going forward, but we shall see. Justin Sternod kind of in the same vein, a depth linebacker with 
some good physical ability and a good special teamers. Sternod was, I think, considered to be one of the guys on the bubble. I certainly considered him as such. But given the injury to Griffith, I suspect Sternod is likely safe. Uh, experienced guys that can perform on special teams in, in multiple roles and still be able to contribute uh, when needed on the field in that linebacker spot, I think are pretty valuable. So I think uh, uh, there's always someone that benefits from the injury of a teammate, which is unfortunate, but that is the way it works in sports. And Sternod is going to be that guy. So uh, I think when you're looking at that particular role on the inside, you know, you have the four, you have Jewel, you have Singleton, you have Sternod, you have Sanders, and then you have uh, uh, the mix. Uh, as you get brought in today, of course, Seth Benson, Ray Wilborn uh, in camp. Uh, we'll end up seeing how that shakes out. But a bad break there for uh, Jonas Griffith for the Denver Broncos. Another um, uh, rough situation there. Uh, you know, two basically two season-ending injuries in two practices for the Denver Broncos after Tim Patrick tore that that is his Achilles tendon in uh, practice on Monday. So unfortunate situation, as Sean Payton pointed out. Given injuries, quote, I don't think it's out of the ordinary. Honestly. I can't speak for the past, but in training camp, you get a few of these. Hopefully, it won't be as many as other teams, but we look closely at everything as we do leading up to drills and practice. One was a freak injury. Another happened in a special teams injury where he stepped on a foot. So, that's obviously bad news, but I kind of agree with uh, Sean Payton that the, a couple of these injuries are to be expected. That's the unfortunate nature of NFL football, and you just hope that it doesn't bite them in the way it has in recent years when they've had so many injuries that it dramatically impacted their team and their roster. They already have missed Riley Moss. We talked about him last night. The third-round cornerback will miss a month with a basically a sports hernia injury, as they call it. The problem is the month that he's missing is the problem. Had Moss missed maybe middle of the year or tail end of the year, that's one thing. Missing all of training camp and some of the preseason in your rookie season is a huge loss because the opportunity to play catch-up never really occurs once the season starts. So for Riley Moss, that is a setback as well at the cornerback position. So wide receiver, cornerback, now inside linebacker, a little bit thinner than it was before. Good news on the injury front. Sean Payton also said that Javante Williams will play in the preseason. Payton is not going to run the preseason the way Nathaniel Hackett did, and this is not to pile on Nathaniel Hackett because the truth of the matter is more and more coaches, and not just young, inexperienced coaches, the Kyle Shanahan's of the world, the Sean McVay's of the world, that those coaches are using their starters fewer and fewer, if at all, in the preseason. Hackett chose to go that route as well. Sean Payton's not going to do that. This is a, a coach that wants guys to play. He talked about how his practices are going to be brisk. He talked about how they're going to play a tackle football how they're going to play at an up-tempo. They have done exactly that. The tempo in which they practice has looked night and day different from not only what the Broncos had under Hackett, but also under Vic Fangio, also under Vance Joseph, who is back with the staff as defensive coordinator. The Broncos are better preparing for a more physical season, and that comes with its share of risks. There are the coaches that stay away with playing their starters in preseason more and more because the injury risk to the wrong player is just too big a deal. Well, the Broncos and Peyton are clearly not worried about that with Javante Williams coming back from his ACL injury, among other ligaments torn last October. Uh, Sean Payton suggested that debut may not come until week two, but saying that, quote, I like how he's progressed, seems satisfied that Javante Williams will get preseason snaps, presumably coming through that healthy. He may indeed be ready for week one 
action for the Denver Broncos. And that changes the Broncos' offense a great deal. Because Sean Payton has talked about more of a, a running game. Comes from that Bill Parcells school, obviously. But the, the signings that the Broncos made are important. Mike McGlinchey is a heck of a run blocker, a right tackle. Really good. Borderline elite. At least regarding the NFL today, probably as good a run blocker in that position as there is in the league. The deficiencies for McGlinchey are in the pass blocking realm. But not concerned about the run. Garrett Bowles, good run blocker. Pass blocker, that's kind of where things slip up. Ben Powers, I, I think an, an up-and-comer. Can do a little bit of everything. Quinn Miners as well, but certainly guys, big guys in Miners' case, huge guys that can get out there and go get it, even though Miners has lost some weight. Lloyd Cushenberry, pass protection, the problem. Run blocking, not as much the problem. This offensive line should be a pretty good run blocking team. And the players that they've added, when you're talking about the tight end position, when you look at Chris Manhurts and Adam Troutman, uh, these are guys that are out there to block. Can they catch a little? They can. But you're looking at playing heavy sets here. Alignments that the Broncos plan to just blow teams off the line of scrimmage with. And this comes in line with what Peyton has done at times in New Orleans. Yeah, you look at it and you think, well, they had Drew Brees. They were throwing all the time. Well, actually, if you look at it, not all the time. They used the running game, oftentimes with two backs. When they were at their best, you had a pair of backs. Whether that was an Ingram and Camara or other pairs that the Saints had. You fantasy football players out there who hate the dreaded running back by committee. Sean Payton was not your guy, except for the fact that Kamara was such a weapon you didn't care. But that's where I think when you look at what the Broncos did in the offseason, you look at the additions at tight end, you look at the additions on the line. A return to form for Javante Williams and the addition of Samaj P. Ryan. P. Ryan, good pass catcher. And when you look at his ability to get first downs, of which he's been very effective, remember many times in the third down role for the Cincinnati Bengals, it was P. Ryan that was in, not Mixon. And that's for multiple reasons. One, P. Ryan was able to get those first downs, not being quite as powerful a back as Mixon, but capable. But he was a very good pass catcher, and he gave you more flexibility in protecting Joe Burrow. P. Ryan's excellent at pass protection. He's excellent at blitz pickup. He's excellent at the chip a guy and then leak out. I would love to see the Broncos play two back sets this year. They added a fullback in Michael Burton out of Kansas City. Fullback's been a role, obviously, for Sean Payton, especially when you're talking about the Taysom Hill role. There's nothing like that coming for the Broncos. But he's used the fullback. He's used two-back sets. He's not afraid to use that run to set up the pass. And when you have an offense that the Broncos have had, which is very has been wobbly, has been inconsistent, Russell Wilson, of course, needs to reinvent himself, the running game's your best friend. Wilson is a more than capable play-action passer. His numbers on play-action passing are better than average in a season in which he was far worse than average across the board. 
Pro Football Focus had him as a, as a pretty good, if not excellent, a pretty good play-action passer last year. So there are ways to take advantage of that. But for the Broncos, the more you can draw people up to stop the run, the better the opportunity it is for Wilson to play-action pass or to hit a guy over the top, which is what Wilson wants to do. So there could be a little back to the future going on for the Denver Broncos. The let Russ cook idea, well, part of the reason that they really never let that happen in Seattle is because it wasn't actually the best way to use Russell Wilson, even if Russell Wilson thought so. The heavy running game, heavy sets, would be Russell Wilson's best friend, even if he doesn't realize it. That's just the reality. And for a Broncos team that's defense has been overtaxed, being able to control the line of scrimmage, to a certain extent, control the clock, control the pace. In Denver, wear your opponents down with the run game by the fourth quarter. They're reaching for the oxygen. That's the best path for the Denver Broncos to have their offense get back to respectability right off the bat, not have Russell Wilson throw it 35 times a game. It's running the ball. It's running the ball with Williams. It's running the ball with P. Ryan. Dump-offs to Williams, dump-offs to Piran. It's having both backs in at the same time. And when it's third down and one, putting Burton in, having a fullback. I know for fans accustomed to watching the Kansas City Chiefs of the world, that's not that exciting. I understand it. It's not the, the, the sexy, highlight reel, throw the ball all over the field type of offense. But what it is, is it's a winning offense. And it's a winning offense for a Denver Broncos offense that only has two new starters. Powers and McGlinchey. Otherwise, the other nine starters are expected to be the same guys who were here last year in the league's literally worst offense. If you count offenses, how many points you put on the board, which I do, uh, they were the worst. Dead last. So, investing in the running game is the right move. And I think that's where a few people took a look at the McGlinchey signing and said maybe that was a little uh, more money than you needed to pay Mike McGlinchey. Well, one, that's what happens when you have to dip into free agency to solve problems you couldn't solve in the draft. You always have to overpay. That's part of the deal. But the other part of it is maybe not understanding the way McGlinchey is going to be used. McGlinchey is going to be out here as a extremely good run blocker to primarily run block because that's the way the Broncos offense is going to function. So you're maximizing what he does best. Cushionberry, who has a little bit of a challenge strength-wise when it comes to pass rushers coming right up the middle. Well, the best way to do that, have him run. You ask offensive linemen whether they'd like that first step to be forward or backwards, every single one of them I've ever asked will tell you all the same thing. They want to get their body weight moving. They want to go downhill. They want to put their body on somebody and block someone as opposed to have to hold somebody off. You want to get a line to gel? You want a line to get invested in your play? Run the football. I get it. It's the same thing people have done in football for 100 years. But there's a reason for that. It works. It's effective. This is still a game that's controlled by a clock. Controlling the clock is to your advantage. Controlling the pace of the game 
is to your advantage. Keeping the other team off the field so their offense can't score is to your advantage. You want to know how to beat the Kansas City Chiefs? Why the Denver Broncos haven't been able to do it? Because they can't limit the number of possessions that Patrick Mahomes and company gets. If you give Patrick Mahomes and company 11 drives a game, they're probably going to score touchdowns on three or four of them and probably get field goals on another two to three. So now you're talking about even on a good day, let's say three touchdowns, two field goals. What's that? 27 points. That's a bad day for the Chiefs. The only way to limit it is to understand that they have too many weapons, they're too well coached, their quarterback's too good to limit the amount of times they actually get to touch the ball. It's the equivalent of walking a slugger in baseball. Sometimes the better choice is just put him on first. The Broncos, if they want to stop this long stretch of futility against the Kansas City Chiefs, this is how you do it. Instead of giving Mahomes and company 11 drives, to score on you, give them seven or eight. And that means you have to have longer drives. Even if they come up empty, you don't want them to come up empty. You want points on your drives. But not every drive is going to come up with points. That's just the game. But if you have longer drives, even if they come up empty, that's less time for other teams to be on the field with their offense to beat you. And when you're in a division with the Chiefs, when you're in a division with the Chargers, that matters. The AFC is replete with top-tier quarterbacking. Bill Barnwell over at ESPN referred to it as a bowling ball with knives just rolling through the season. Look at the the teams in the AFC, and the Broncos are going to have to jump over some of those. Yes, the offense has to score more points. But what the offense has to do is make sure they keep the ball more. Start evening out time of possession first. Give your defense some help and limit the amount of times those great quarterbacks can burn you. That can be controlled even if Russell Wilson isn't demonstrably better than last year. If you run. The Broncos have built their roster in this offseason to make that single improvement. All the additions. The two new starters and the two biggest additions are tight ends. This is a team built for a running game, a power running game. If they succeed at it, it's going to give the Broncos a better opportunity to topple the Chiefs for the first time in what feels like forever. And having to do that is one of the paths towards getting back to the playoffs once again. We'll talk about that more as we go along. As pointed out, this is your show as well. 303-831-1340 is the call or text line. This morning, Eric Goodman and Bruce Hurdle had a very interesting point about Wilson, how much better he can get, how much better he's been thus far, why he hasn't. That's some interesting points. Kind of want to bat them around with you. So we'll get to hear from them next on My Life Sports. Can I kick it? Yes, you can. Can I kick it? Yes, you can. Can I kick it? Yes, you can. Don't sweat the technique. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. 
just Sean today. Sandy will be back on Monday. Taking a, uh, a little break. Good for him. The setup for, for training camp this year. So much of it involves Russell Wilson. And there's been this discussion, of course, with Sean Payton and Russell Wilson about how much things can change. And, that, and that's all happening in real time. He did not throw an interception today in practice. And we'll get into how much that really means. Uh, practice interceptions are easy to overstate. We'll have our own Cody Rook joining us in the next segment to dig deeper into that. But he did not throw an interception today. He had thrown an interception the previous three practices. Justin Simmons had picked, picked him off all three times. Now, not great to throw interceptions in any situation. You're not going to hear uh, Sean Payton pull what you heard a couple years ago. Uh, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll be kind. I'll just leave the names out of it. But a, a practice in which, you know, a coach responded very famously to a bunch of us in attendance. We were practicing throwing out of bounds that day. Okay. I don't think you heard Sean Payton say that. There's never a time when an interception is necessary, is good. It's not good for the offense. But at the same time, when it's, say, uh, Justin Simmons making interceptions, one of the very best safeties in the league, you also need to make sure you take it within context. That said, a very interesting discussion today occurred with uh, Bruce Hurdle and Eric Goodman this morning talking about the way that these are being perceived and the growth of Russell Wilson. And they both had some interesting points. So I wanted you to be able to hear a little bit of what they talked about, and then we'll, we'll bat it around in a moment. I'm, I'm getting tired of this verbiage because this is becoming a common theme. Working on install. We're working on install. We're working on install. This is why this doesn't look the way it should because we're working on install. What did you do during OTAs? What did you do during mini camps? Were you guys just running wind sprints? Now, I, I don't claim to have played the NFL, and I know exactly what goes on in OTAs and also in mini camps. But you would, wouldn't you think, with a new head coach, you would do you do a little bit of install when I, you have that opportunity. I think installs are done all through training camp. And how about before? I think that some was done, but this, I mean, well, but me, the roster, but you've got 90 guys on the roster mm -hmm. and the roster. I, I mean, you do have some people that are learning things. I got you as they go. I understand what you're saying. Um, it, did, I just it, don't want to hear it, did, it didn't sound like an excuse to me. I just don't want to hear in two weeks. We're working on install. Well, maybe in two weeks you won't be hearing that. I don't know. I don't know. But, but it feels like at times when things aren't going well, we start hearing the same thing over and over again, like we did with Nathaniel Hackett. It's on me. You know, thing, yeah. things like that. Well, th there's a lot to go through there, and uh, uh, both of them make good points. And uh, like Eric, I, I didn't play in the NFL. I mean, if you ever met me, like, obviously not. But... Uh, this is my 12th camp covering the Broncos, and I think I have a decent idea of, of what's going on out there. And there is a little bit uh, different here with, with Sean Payton. At the first OTA, uh, Sean Payton basically, again, talk about him being off the Bill Parcells tree. I mean, this is this is who he is, and he'll talk about Bill Parcells every single week. You will get a Bill Parcells mention every week from Sean Payton. Every week. At least one. 
the very first OTA, he basically said, we're not doing any football. We're not going to be out here working on football in the first OTA. That's what we're doing. We're working on getting our bodies in shape. We're working on understanding why things are going to go the way they go. So not installing anything there. But I get Eric's point because you're also not doing the kind of practices with any sort of contact or pads in the OTAs either. So that's where you try to get some of the install in. But Bruce's point is also correct. You have a whole bunch of guys. Keep in mind, right? It's a 53-man roster. You have 90 guys out there. Close to half of them aren't going to be on this team. Probably a third of them may never be in an NFL camp again. That's one out of every three or so. There are going to be mistakes made. And one of the things that I think we can make the mistake in in football, especially, look, it's not golf, not tennis. It's not an individual sport. One breakdown by one person leads to a breakdown of the whole play. Sometimes you will have multiple breakdowns from multiple people, and that leads to the play. Sometimes it can be both. Sometimes Russell Wilson can make a mistake, but a blocker can make a mistake simultaneously. It could be a receiver and a blocker. It could be a running back. It could be anybody. You get the idea. Wilson is throwing too many picks in practice, certainly. When the majority of them are getting picked off by Simmons, I'm certainly less inclined to panic than if it was, say, Fayon Hicks out there grabbing all of them. No offense to Fayon Hicks, seventh rounder last year for the Broncos. But it's also a different player. You look at it the other side and you can say, wow, Justin Simmons is really on it. He looks ready to go. His ball-hawking ways continue. That's the other part about practice is tricky. It's against your own team. So, When something bad happens for your team, something is also good happening for your team. So it becomes very difficult to really look at it and say this is a a wholly bad or wholly good thing. Maybe the Broncos' defensive secondary looks really sharp. Maybe the coverage is looking really good. Maybe the pass rush is better than we expected. The truth is, Matt, in fact, quite frankly, it has been. Zach Allen has looked really good. Zach Allen has looked excellent in the early goings in camp. Nick Benito in his second season has some serious get-off. Got to time that line of scrimmage a little better. But I would say the early returns in practice on the pass rush might be a little bit better than I might have expected. It's not good that the Wilson is still throwing picks. And what you are seeing is overthrows. And that part is a little concerning. Because when you look at a player, and this is what I've tried to explain all offseason, and I'm not really going to stop with it until we see something different out of Russell Wilson that indicates that this is not the case. But when I see a player who, over the course of their career, has been a far better than average player, and keep in mind Russell Wilson was considered to be a guy that was on track to be a Hall of Famer 
And that's that was almost a, a foregone conclusion when he got to the Denver Broncos. When you have someone like that that then has a bad year, I'm going to first look at that as an anomaly until I have reason to believe that it is not. I get that we live in a hot take world. I get that it's easy to look at all these things. It must be this. It must be that. It must be this. The truth is data by its very nature is noisy. You have to take some time to sort it out and not everything can be discerned in a quick glance. Russell Wilson has been on a borderline Hall of Fame track since he came into the league in 2012 as a highly efficient passer. The 64.8% completion rate that he had in 2021 is last year before the Broncos, by the way. Some of that driven by injury, the, the break on his hand that tried to rush back from. That is still an okay completion percentage. But when he came into the league in 2012 and 2013, it was completing the 63 64%. He was dicing guys up. And he's been rather consistent as a quarterback for the most part. His career passer rating, even after last year's abysmal 84.4, still sits over 100. And so when a player has 10 good seasons, 10, which is what Russell Wilson had, 10 good seasons in a row, and you have one bad one, I'm going to look at that as an anomaly. When the one bad one also includes, say, a change in coaches or a change in scheme or a change in team, all of which happened to Wilson, that makes me believe that it's more likely to be anomalous. And so that's still what I'm going to go with with Wilson at this stage. But the one thing that is not anomalous is he will turn 35 in November. And even though you have seen quarterbacks like Aaron Rodgers, like Tom Brady, age at a curve in which we have never really seen before in due to medical care and due to, uh, you're talking about the way they treat their bodies, their procedures, the way they handle themselves, rules that keep them from getting hit that they've been able to sustain longer than usual. But still, when you're talking about anomalies, Brady and Rogers playing the way they played at this stage of their career, those were anomalies. Russell Wilson, you may have mentioned, if you were just listening closely and heard all those things I rattled off, one of those might have tripped your ear. You might have went, oh, what about the getting hit fewer? Right. Russell Wilson doesn't get hit fewer than Tom Brady, fewer times than Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. He gets hit more, and he's always gotten hit more. Always. That part matters. Russell Wilson is not as big as those other two quarterbacks. Russell Wilson is listed at 5'11", 215. I've stood next to him. That's probably right. But that's also not that big. He suffered 482 sacks in his career. He's going to get 18 this year because the lowest he's ever had in a year ever was his rookie year, and that was 33 sacks. He got sacked 33 times in the 2021 season in which he only played 14 games. 18 more gets to 500. Let's say he takes that 33 again, a low 
for his career. 33. Let's even say he sets a new one. 32, right? Sets a new low. 32. He has 482 sacks. That'd bring him to 514. John Elway finished with 516 career sacks. But he did it in 234 games. If Russell Wilson were to set a new low in sacks with 32 and do it in 17 games, Russell Wilson would be at 190. You see the difference? In almost 45 fewer games at the end of this year, Russell Wilson will have been sacked only two times Fewer than John Elway, if all that comes to pass. Presumably, it won't. It's likely to be more in line with his career highs. It's going to go down to a certain extent. It's going to be the 55 from last year, which did mark his career high. But most of the time, he sits in the 40s, and that's where I'd expect it to be. Likely, he's going to pass John Elway in career sacks with 45 fewer games played in his career. At best. He's not the size John Elway was. That's the real concern here for Wilson, for me. Not that he's forgotten how to play football. Not that he's so stubborn that he'll only play his way. These are, I guess, slight concerns. I don't think the first one is. The second one, maybe. We'll see. But my worry is you have a guy that's about to be 35 years old that's on the small side that has taken hits at a nearly unprecedented pace. Russell Wilson, the only two guys that took more sacks per game, that had more than 400 in a career, Phil Sims, who averaged 2.91, Randall Cunningham 3.01. Those are the only two guys ahead of Russell Wilson's 2.79. Difference, Randall Cunningham played in 161 games, and Russell Wilson, pardon me, Phil Sims played in 164. Wilson's already passed that for both of them. So Wilson has been taking that kind of beating for longer than both of those guys. My worry is that Russell Wilson may be breaking down. And when you see a guy that's been a career 64.6 completion guy, and that includes, again, last year's 60.5, overthrowing targets, there are many reasons for that. Could the receiver be running the wrong route? I guess. But some of these have been overthrows. He's just missing. Could some of that be technique? I suppose. But you're talking about a guy, again, that's now spent 11 years in the league. Technique usually isn't an immense problem. You could maybe tweak a little bit. But what's likely happening is he's missing. He's just missing in a way he didn't miss before because what he used to do, the ball is not going where it used to go. And some of that, when that happens, that's age. And that's the worry for me. We're worried so much about Russell Wilson being stubborn or Russell Wilson not understanding this thing or Russell Wilson no money to play his way. My main concern is none of that. My main concern is that Russell Wilson is a smallish quarterback that will turn 35 during the season that has taken an almost unprecedented beating over the course of his career. Now, some of that's on Wilson, who holds onto the ball too long and has to understand at his age one of the concessions he may going to have to make is get rid of it faster. But that's part of this. That's my worry. I do want to know what you feel about it. Is there something else? Do you think Wilson will just turn back the clock? Do you think there's something to this? I am curious. 303-831-1340 is the number. We'll talk about that maybe a little bit, as well as the latest from Broncos training camp from ILA Sports. Cody Rourke will join us next.
This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome back. Sandy Clough is off uh, till Monday, so I'll just keep things uh, going with you here. But we're joined by Cody Rourke of Mile High Sports. Cody Rourke NFL is the Twitter handle. He's the uh, really Mr. Everything for the Denver Broncos over Mile High Sports. Check out all the great pieces he's putting together when he's, he's writing and putting together videos. He's also the host of the new show, Good Morning Broncos, on YouTube. You can check it right out on YouTube, or if you're on MileHighSports.com, you can get to it that way as well. And even easier, get the Mile High Sports app, and then everything that Cody puts together, the multimedia maestro himself, uh, you'll get all of it in your pocket. Cody, thank you for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. It's uh, tell you what, these days, they get longer and longer and longer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these training camps, uh, it's funny. It, it really is only turns out to be really only two and a half weeks but by the time it ends uh it, it feels like we've, we've done a bunch and of course it does for the players as well I, I pointed out that uh, you had shared today at practice Russell Wilson did not have an interception after three days in a row being picked specifically by Justin Simmons but the idea about uh, install and putting things together in practice and that can lead to mistakes I tried to explain how that can occur not only with your starters but you have maybe one out of every three or every four guys in camp that will never be in an NFL camp again. So mistakes happen more commonly than I think most fans would like to necessarily admit in these early training camp practices, right? Yeah, and look, I would even say that there are mistakes that happen in regular practice that fans mm-hmm. don't get or attend that we're just simply not allowed to report on. Um, happens around the league, you know, and practices where you want to make those mistakes. I. I, I just I don't understand, and maybe it's because the Broncos' offense was really bad last year, and Russ struggled, and there's a lot of pressure on him. But I I feel like every time I'm at camp, I'm standing up and on the hill watching practice. Russ makes a throw, maybe it doesn't look the greatest, but everyone's like, "Oh God, bad throw, horrible throw by Russ." But here's the thing, no, like or they, or I hear things like this. Oh, Russ didn't go to his the the right read. How do you know what his right read is? Nobody, Correct. Like, none of us in the media, and I know football. Mm-hmm. I know football a, a lot better. You know some of the people that are up there on the hill. No disrespect to them, but it's like not even I know the first read. If that were the case, you know what are we even doing this for? Because there wouldn't be media access allowed. You know, in, in that front. So let the coaches coach. Let the players play. Coaches are very very on board with hey. You know what? This is where we're going to try some things. Like you mentioned, the install period. They're installing some of the main schemes that they want, but they're also not actively game planning against anybody mm-hmm. that they're going to be playing this upcoming season because they're trying to master some little foundational things that they want to see if they're good at them. And so, with that, it's going to come mistakes. That's where practice is at. And then, look, you have a defense right now. You have arguably two of the best players in the NFL on the secondary. At their positions, respectively. Justin Simmons at safety, Patrick Sertan at cornerback. So far, from what we've seen, a very relentless pass rush right now with a healthy Randy Gregory, Zach Allen, Jonathan Cooper, Nick Benito, and other guys. I mean, the defense is ahead of the offense, and that is to be expected because, as Alex Singleton had said today, not much has really changed with the defense. So, something to keep an eye on there. Now, the concern, of course, is at least personnel wise. Uh, not much has changed on the offense. The same when you're looking at the starters. I mean, Tim Patrick, unfortunately, with his injury, he was injured at this point last year, too. So you're looking at, uh, at least when it comes to the starters, only a couple new additions in Ben Powers and Mike McGlinchey. Now, to be fair right now, because of the way that, that Javante Williams is being handled, Samaje Pirine 
is in there kind of as the RB1 at the moment. So there are some differences. But the offense isn't that different either. And I think that's why there is so much panic around how the offense hasn't looked at least equal to the defense at this point. You're not concerned about that? No, I'm not. And and look, we've seen this trend before. I mean, we even see, we've seen practices where the Broncos' offense is seemingly lighting up the defense, and in the regular season, it never ceased. Uh, you know, that didn't really carry over. So, I uh, like I said, I think so much of, because this team has struggled, Sean, because this team has had a has has had losing season after losing season after losing season. I just think patience has, has run thin, and we are at a point now where every little thing is microanalyzed and dissected, and people are trying to you know create narratives off of it. It's simply way too early for that. Practices where you make mistakes, you go back, you watch the film, you remaster some stuff. Or as Sean Payton said, you look at things that you know you thought you were going to be comfortable with doing, and you're like, all right, we're not there yet, but we will be. Let's keep working on it here. That's what practice is about. So. I, Unfortunately, this is the thing that is frustrating about the media game is that you do see a lot of uh, these things get publicized and it spreads through the fan base like wildfire and it creates a lot of overreaction and it creates a lot of hostility online. It's just like, you know, as much as we dislike Aaron Rodgers right now here in Denver, I just want to tell fans, relax. Yeah, there is something to that, especially when you're talking about uh, practices. You know, Allen Iverson's famous quote, he yeah, he, he wasn't entirely wrong, was he? I mean, that's a big part of this. It is a practice, and uh, you're you're going to have situations in which it doesn't matter. Sandy likes to talk about uh, opportunities where he talked to you know Mike Shanahan, and Mike Shanahan uh, uh, kind of joked about it and indicated, it, yeah, it's practice. They, they don't, folks. We'll, we'll put it this way: they don't keep stats at practice. They they don't keep stats at practice for a reason. I know that some media folks keep stats at practice. The team doesn't actually keep stats at practice. That's not really what they're worried about in the end because you're trying to mix and match and get different looks. But oh, I don't care about practice. In the in the next uh, couple of weeks, and let's take a peek forward. Obviously, they are going to get into uh, not only their preseason games but then the scrimmages uh, with the Rams. Now those matter uh, because now as we're seeing the Sean McVay's of the world, uh, kind of one of those guys that's been on record to talk about it, Kyle Shanahan, another, has indicated that those are more valuable to them than preseason games because unlike the games, you get to control the situation. If you want to line up in this particular situation against the other guys, uh, players, you can coordinate that with the other coach. Is that really when the rubber hits the road or do these preseason games matter uh, maybe a little bit more than that? Yeah, I mean, it's even tough to say in the preseason because you're really – you're not you're not revealing a, a lot of your playbook. Right. You know, a lot of the stuff that we're going to see in the playbook is very vanilla for the offensive scheme, defensively. They're not going to show as much because they don't want the Raiders to get an early advantage on them. And even at training camp, when you have joint practices, a lot of the stuff you're going to see is just operating out of their base structures, offensively, defensively. Um, so, you know, even then, even here in joint practices, even the preseason, it's really hard to gauge. But for, for coaches, this is where they want to see their guys – master some of their foundational elements that will be a big part of what they do from week one all the way to the, you know, hopefully week 22, if that's the case. But then it's adding things in as you go in practice. It's building on things and adding just like another tree branch to a certain thing that you do really, really well. So that's really, I think, where everything does matter. And, and I've even been on the record of saying, even if it takes Denver for the first three weeks of the, the regular season to kind of get to where they need to be, that's fine because that's normal. I mean, even when Peyton Manning was here, that was exactly what happened with the Broncos. It, it, they got off to a little bit of a rough start early on in his first, you know, first year here, and then bang, they went on a big run. That's what you know. It, week by week, you just have to do the little things right, and 
I, I think with Sean Payton's attention to detail, we certainly see that. I'm not really worried about that right now, and I, I think that there would have to be something drastic that would have to make it to where I am worried about it. We'll have a chance to check in with you tomorrow uh, after practice at, as well, but when you're looking over the next few days, now we'll have been through basically that first full week, uh, what's the next step for the Broncos? What stage of the development do you suspect that they move into? Well, tomorrow they're going to be doing the uh, a little bit of more of a competitive period. We, you know, we've seen the last two days we've seen red zone emphasis. One day was with pads, so you know it was a little different. There was a little bit more intensity there today when they're in the red zone period. No pads; they were just in shells today, but it's still competitive. Tomorrow they'll be back in the pads, and there will be a two-minute drill, which is highly competitive. Move the ball. That I think will be a very, very good period to watch, and we'll see. Uh, we'll see who comes out on top. One week from tomorrow, the Broncos will be in Arizona to take on the Cardinals. The preseason will be upon us that quickly. You want to make sure you follow Cody. Cody Rourke, NFL is the Twitter handle. And like I said, if you want to get everything all at once, uh, just grab that Mile High Sports app and you'll be able to see everything that Cody puts together, reading, writing, videos, uh, you name it, as well as, of course, the brand new Good Morning Broncos show, 9 a.m. on YouTube and Mile High Sports. Thanks, Cody. Appreciate it. Thanks, John. See you tomorrow. All right. Thanks so much, Cody Rourke, joining us. Uh, of course, he's living out there all the time. He has the sunburn to prove it. Uh, he's gotten torched out there. Get that man some sunscreen. It kind of makes you, if you see Cody out there, uh, and by the way, where the media is now, uh, this year, you're, you're right up there with the fans. We're on the hill with the fans. So, yeah, if you see Cody and you have a little bit of that extra sunscreen, whether it's the spray or the lotion, you know, just you know, help, help him out there. He's, he's kind of, uh, he's, not, he's not quite as pasty as I am, but he's out there every single morning getting torched for uh, three, four hours. So, uh, get, you know, get, get that man some sunscreen. The Denver Broncos are trying to find a way. The whole process of this is getting their, them to getting more wins. And if you are injured, you have to make sure that you get a win. But you can't afford to wait. And that's why you need to talk to our friends at Burnham Law. BurnhamLaw.com is the website. 720-845-7001 is the phone number. You want to hire the winner. And that's all they do at Burnham Law. Their personal injury attorneys have years of experience fighting for their clients. And when you're injured, they'll push for you to get the maximum recovery in the best way that works out for you, not for them. Whether that's for settlement or for trial, they want to get you right as quickly as possible. They're easy to find. Locations in Fort Collins, Boulder, Westminster, Cherry Creek, the DTC, Colorado Springs, and even up north in Cheyenne. So when you're hurt, don't hire someone off a billboard. Hire someone who you know will get the win. That's our friends at Burnham Law. BurnhamLaw.com, 720-845-7001. We'll continue with the Denver Broncos. Have an opportunity to talk to our friend Chris Thomason from the Denver Gazette. He'll join us next at Mile High Sports.